0: listening to the Echo Community Church podcast. We have a passion for being and making disciples of Jesus Christ. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we hope this podcast inspires you to take another step. Let's join our pastor for today's teaching from the Bible. We've been talking about seasons over the last couple weeks, and we've specifically been looking at not just the seasons that we're pretty familiar with today, the seasons of winter, spring, autumn, and uh, summer. We, we haven't just talked about those for. We've been looking at King Solomon's poem he wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, which lists 28 different seasons of life. And we haven't gone through all 28, and we all know that that's not an exclusive list of all the seasons. There's more than that. But Solomon's trying to help us understand that just like we have seasons in the atmosphere and seasons in the weather, life also has seasons. There's just times of life that have a beginning and an end. They might repeat in cycles, and every season has some things about it that can be for our good, and every season has some things about it that things are not so good. Um, Seasons are constantly changing. Life is constantly changing, but God is unlike the seasons. He is constant, and we can depend upon him to lead us and to guide us and to help us to thrive in all the different seasons of life. But there's more in the Bible about different seasons than even what we read in Ecclesiastes. And today we're going to look at two seasons of life um, that all of us are familiar with to some degree. We're going to look at the seasons of work and Sabbath. Work and Sabbath. Work, to work refers to the stuff in your day that you have to do, the things you've got to get done. For some of us, it's our job. It's our career. We get up and we go to work and we work at work, and then we come home, and we do different kinds of work, right, when we get home. Um, some of us, you might think, well, I'm I'm only in second grade, or I'm in tenth grade. You know, what what does work look like for me? Well, you get up every day, and you do school. You study. You get education. If you're a wonderful daughter or son, you're doing some chores around the house before your parents even ask just because you love them and you're thankful for the privilege of growing up in their home. Right? Not so much, right? Right. You know, you might be in one of those transitional seasons where you're kind of in between your, your, uh, you know, your, your high school education and your vocation, and you're getting some, some different types of education or studying. All of us have work. Another, another word for that is labor. It's the stuff of life that requires us to put some energy into it. Then there's another season the Bible talks about called Sabbath. Sabbath is about rest, recreation, relaxing, recharging. So we're going to talk about work and Sabbath, labor and relaxing. Now, if you had to pick one of those two seasons to live in forever, how many of you would say, when given the choice between labor and relaxing, I'd rather have labor for my whole life? Okay, how many of you say, give me relaxing? I will take relaxing, yes. Um, and isn't it interesting that most of us would say, of those two, I would rather be doing more relaxing. But most of us, if you want, is probably say we do the most working. We might be working so much that we're not doing enough of the resting or relaxing. Let me ask you a question. How do you think we Americans are doing when it comes to getting enough rest? Do you think we're doing well? No, No? okay. Um, Well, you're right. I actually went to get some data on this to the, uh, and I landed on the CDC website. Now, most of us have spent some time on the CDC website this year. It's where you go to get information about, uh, it's a government website where you go to get information about sicknesses and diseases and viruses. I was surprised that they also have some good information and data that they've collected. When they've done the census, uh, when they've done one of the, when they, uh, the, what well, they do what every sometimes two years, four years, when they do their regular censuses, they took some information to figure out how are Americans doing with sleep. And here's where they start off. The CDC says an adult needs seven or more hours of sleep per night for your best health and well-being. Now, I'm not asking you to raise your hands. Now, there's a difference between saying, you, know, you need seven hours of sleep per night. Now, I read another article that says you need seven hours of sleep in a 24-hour period. There's a difference. This is why you can't just take eight one-hour naps a day and feel like you're alive, right? There's a type of sleep. You need not just sleep. You need deep, uninterrupted sleep, right? I'm not going to get into all the, the REM cycles and things like that, but we all know that there's a difference between just taking a nap once a day and getting a good full seven hours of deep, uninterrupted uninterrupted sleep. Well, they say, CDC says, we need 70 more hours, and if you have less than seven hours of sleep in a 24-hour period as an adult, you're suffering from something called short sleep duration. You know, some of you are already feeling bad. You're like, I've been suffering for this for the last 40 years of my life, or at least as long as I've had children, right? If you go deeper into this article, there's these really cool maps and charts and graphs, and that speaks to my heart because I love a good map, a good chart, a good graph. And it's a map of the whole United States. And it's even more detailed than like the ones you look at on election night and they're filling in states. It's actually broken down by county. And you can look at a whole map of the United States and every county of the United States gets a shade. And, and the best scores are completely white and the and the lowest scores are the darkest, darkest, darkest shade of brown. So everything in between. The good sleeping counties are, are you know, they have no color filled in. They're just white. And then the ones that are the terrible sleeping counties and states are the darkest of brown. Guess where Baltimore County ranked according to the, the very, very, very darkest brown. We are in the category of the worst adult sleepers in the country. I think there's only three counties in Maryland that are as bad as we are at sleeping. They estimate that between 38 and 50 percent of the adults in this county are not getting a minimum of seven hours of sleep per night. Here's the problem they continue on. If you are a short sleeper, which means you get less than seven hours of sleep per night, every study that, they, that they've taken says you are more likely to report 10 chronic health conditions compared to those who get enough sleep, including you're more likely to have a heart attack, coronary heart disease, a stroke, cancer, arthritis, depression, well, it makes sense, I guess, if you're not sleeping enough, you probably um, your body's not recharging, it's not resetting, and so, Pastor, what are you trying to tell us? Well, what the CDC is saying that is basically this: we're working ourselves to an early death because we're yay. No, no we're working ourselves to death. And before you say, "Well, I'm a I'm a high school student, I'm an elementary kid," this doesn't apply to me. Hold on. They actually have data on you too. Adolescents need eight to ten hours of sleep per school night, says the CDC. But they're even worse than adults. You would be an even darker brown. Two thirds of US high school students are getting less than eight hours of sleep on a school night. So, what it's telling us is that we're not doing a good job by the government's standards as adults as adolescents and as kids, of getting enough sleep. And you might be thinking to yourself, what does this have to do with me as a Christian? What does this have to do with church? Pastor, you are going to be giving us like a TED Talk on how to get enough sleep? Is this just a motivational speaking? Absolutely not. I want you to see this because here's the point I'm trying to make. God designed you. God created the human body. That's what we believe, right? Amen? Do we believe that God created humans? Okay, want to make sure we're at least good on that one. God also provided an owner's manual for how we take care of this thing called our body. It's called our Bible. And the Bible tells us how to take care of your body to get the most out of it. For it to live its full purpose. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever purchased a brand new car. For some people, that's a wonderful experience. For other people, it is a stressful experience. We try, in my house, we try and put it off as long as we can. This last year, we, we finally had to, to retire one of our vehicles and replace it with a newer vehicle. And when you have not been in a new vehicle, a brand new vehicle or, a, or newer model vehicle in, say, 15 years... It's amazing how the dashboard has changed, and the buttons, and the things it does by itself. There are some cars now that actually when you sit still at a traffic light, it turns itself off. And then when you press the gas to accelerate, it like shudders back awake. And this is supposed to be good for the environment. It just terrifies me every time it happens. Well, you know, we, we, we replaced a car in our family, and, 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 and my wife drives a newer vehicle now. It's more reliable. Well, I know she's not going to get stranded when she goes to visit people. It was just that time. And so we bought this new car, and I remember us being just blown away by all the technology. It's like, wow, you press this button, and the windows go down, and they go up, and they're, the guy's like, how long have you, has it been since you've been in a car? Like, it's like, that's standard. This is standard. This is standard. This is standard. Well, I remember my wife bringing in the thick owner's manual. Like those first couple nights, you know, babe, I remember you were doing that, going literally going through, what does this button do? How do I turn this off? How do I make it not do this? How do, all these different, um, she's literally going through the owner's manual. The people who designed that car know what every button does. And she decided, rather than me just trying to figure it out on my own, I'm going to trust that the people who designed this and wrote this down are giving me reliable information how to take care of this car and get the most out of it. You know, most of your owner's manuals, whenever you have a car, whether it's a new one or a used one, they're going to tell you, you need to change the oil, right? Every, you know, depending on what kind of model, what kind of oil, every 3,000, every 5,000, whatever it is, you need to change. There's certain regular maintenance that it needs. Now, when I bought cars, you had to do all this stuff, like, (laughs) so frequently. I remember the first car that I bought, by the time it had 90,000 miles on it, it was just ready to be retired. I won't say what country it was made in, but it was an unfortunate season of manufacturing at that time. Nowadays, it's like the car that I drive now has, you know, know, it's almost 15 years old and has close to 200,000 miles on it, and I've never really had an issue with it. You know why? I do everything that it says I'm supposed to do when I'm supposed to do it. Now, I've heard people brag, especially when I was in college, man, I've gone 10,000 miles without an oil change. I've gone 15,000 and one person, I went 18,000 miles without an oil change and went got the oil change and I didn't have any problems right away. Right away you didn't. But you've taken life years off of the life of your vehicle. When you don't take care of things the way they're supposed to be taken care of, even if it doesn't show up now, it will show up. God has given us an owner's manual for the way our body needs to be taken care of. And what the government, our own government, organization says people who aren't taking care of their body by getting enough rest are dying and getting sick and living with all kinds of extra things in their life with more frequency than those who are taking care of their body by getting enough rest. I want you to know it wasn't the American government's idea you should get seven hours of sleep a night. God was the one who designed your body and said it needs to rest daily. It needs to rest weekly. It needs to rest yearly. And it's being reinforced when we're saying objectively, we're finding out if we don't rest our bodies, it's getting sicker, sooner. It's affecting our mental health. It's affecting our relationships. Let me ask you something. Are you a better spouse when you're rested or when you're tired? Are you a better driver when you're rested or when you're tired? Are you a better employee when you're rested? Are you a better student when you're rested or when you're tired? I know this is not in the Bible, I don't know how I didn't get in there. I just feel like all of life is better after a nap and a snack, <laughs> in that order. If you snack before you nap, it's going to mess up your nap, right? My wife was telling me a story last week. Um, uh, she and the boys went up to visit her parents in Hartford County, and uh, Isaiah, our three-year-old, had fallen asleep on the way up. And when he woke up at you know mom and papa's house, he wasn't a happy camper at that point. He was a little, little edgy, a little cranky. He was fussy and. And normally that's not the case. Normally he just, you know, he's a social guy and just wants to work the room and glad hand the high rollers and, you know, he he he, he's you know wants it. He was not having it. He was not nice to Mama, not nice to Papa, not not nice to aunts and uncles. And I think Kendra was thinking maybe he needs a stern talking to. One of her sisters suggested, um, maybe he's hungry. And they brought him. Was it peanut butter or cream cheese? Cream cheese. Okay, yeah. So, So one of our sons just likes to eat cream cheese all by itself. Please don't judge us. It's just, he's three, he's this many. So they brought him a spoonful of cream cheese, and she said he was fussing, fussy, they put him in his mouth, and he eats it, and swallows the cream cheese, and says, hello, everybody. Let's play, you know. Sometimes, right? It's not necessarily some deep character malfunction. It's Our body's rested. It's not fed. We're just not taking care of our body. And because of that, it's spilling out in all these other ways. Um, Let me ask you a question a quick survey. Let's find out how you're doing. Don't answer out loud. Please don't answer out loud. Just to yourself. How are you doing when it comes to Sabbath, sleep, rest, relaxation? Here's some questions to help you figure it out Are you constantly in a hurry? I feel like, I've, I said this in the, at the 9 a.m. service, I feel like almost every person I see in public in Baltimore County is in an angry hurry. Just, they're in a hurry, and they're angry about it, right? Do other people have to tell you constantly, slow down, not the kind officer who pulled you over this morning on the way to church. I'm just talking about other people, right? Do they have to tell you to slow down? Like, whoa, 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 take a deep breath, breathe, Slow down. And does that make you angry when they tell you to slow down because you feel like they should be on your pace rather than you being on theirs? Do you have a to-do list that is unrealistically long? Guilty. In fact, mine is even framed (laughs) and hanging on the wall in my office as some sort of badge of, of honor. And I'm like, this thing is just crazy long. Not that having the list is a bad thing, but I guess it's the way that I approach that list and feel like I don't deserve to even take a breath until every box is crossed off. Or have you ever added things you already did To your to do list after you did them just so you could check them off? Do you feel guilty whenever you relax? Do you have to get sick to justify taking time off from work? We are talking about work, we're talking about Sabbath, we're talking about labor and activity versus rest, recharging, and relaxing. In Hebrew, which is the original language of the Old Testament, the word Sabbath means rest. It actually means to cease from labor. And you know who was the first, the first instance of rest in the Bible? You know who did it? God. God himself set the example. Let me read. It'll be on the screen. Genesis chapter 2. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation. What was God doing for the first six days of, of recorded history? He was creating things. That's what he was doing. So he finished his work and he rested from all his work. That's an important phrase. doesn't say God took a nap because God doesn't need to sleep because he never tires out. But for him, Sabbath was he rested from his work. And then he did something more. He blessed the seventh day and he declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. God's setting an example. He says, I I made your body. Your body needs one day out of every seven for rest, relaxation, recreation, recharge, recovery. And any other R words you want to add to my five-point sermon I just gave you, okay? Rest, relax, recharge, restore, recover. One in seven. And he set the standard. And then he said, this is holy. Don't mess with this. This is a holy principle, a holy command, a holy rule. He knew we needed this. He knows our body needs to rest. Your emotions need to rest. Your spirit needs to be refocused. But here's what else God knew. God says, I know when I create people, they're not going to naturally drift towards rest. They're going to drift towards work. Do more. Schedule more. Go more. Earn more. Spend more. Travel more. More, 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 more. Go, 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 go. Perform, 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 perform. <laughs> drive around. Listen, drive around Baltimore County. You rarely see cars in driveways because everybody's out working to pay for their mortgage. The bigger their house, the less cars you usually see parked out front because like they've got this massive house that has a massive mortgage, which requires a lot of work. Go, 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 go. God knew his people would not naturally drift towards honoring this, so he tried to help us out by creating a commandment, a principle, a rule called Sabbath. And he gave it to Moses, and he said, Moses, here's my top 10, here's the 10 commandments. Go tell my people this is how they need to live in order to honor me and get the most out of their life. And in that list of 10 were things like, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind, don't murder anybody, don't steal from anybody, Don't lie. And in that same list is remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And I wonder if for most of us that's the one out of the ten we feel like doesn't really need to apply to us. Because God doesn't understand our needs, our job, our personality, our desires, our expectation, our schedule. And the fact of the matter is that disobeying that is as every bit as much a sin as all of the other Ten Commandments. It's every bit as much of a sin. We are living with the consequences of the sin of breaking God's principle of Sabbath. We're living with things in our life, conditions in our body, staleness in our emotions that would be repaired if we honored sabbath well we have a hard time with it today but you know what moses is, you know moses's time those people had a hard time with this command too in fact when they heard the command about sabbath the israelites started to debate with each other and ask questions about this it seemed too broad it didn't seem specific enough Now they feared god and they wanted to do the right thing but they felt like God was just not specific enough, and they started to debate. Some of their main questions were, uh, when God says that, there's, that we have to have a Sabbath, does he mean there's one of the seven, specific days that the Sabbath always has to be on that day? Does that mean Saturday is always the Sabbath? Sunday is always the Sabbath. Or Monday is always the Sabbath, and it has to be a literal 24-hour window. Well, God didn't say that but we need to help God out. We need to make this very, very, very specific. Another thing they debated, well, if Sabbath means no work, then what is work? How many steps can I walk between when it's recreation and when it becomes work? And for some of us are like, I could walk five miles and, and have no issue. Some of us are like, I could walk 15 feet and I'm done for the day. Well, they had to start figuring out, well, how long is a Sabbath day's journey? And they started adding all the hundreds over 600 extra rules god's people added to the command to honor the sabbath and it became very stressful it didn't become a a gift to them anymore it became a burden and this debate kept going over a thousand years of what is and isn't the sabbath and they they were very 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 rigid the word is legalistic they had a lot of rules well jesus comes on the scene a few thousand years after this happens and these people start observing Jesus and his disciples on their Sabbath, which they believe was one particular 24-hour period of time. It started at this time, and it ended at that time. And during this time between sundown and the sundown the next day, you couldn't walk more than a certain number of feet. You couldn't feed your animals. There are all kinds of things you could not do because they thought God must have meant that as work. And we need to honor this or God's going to be angry. We need to protect The Sabbath at all costs. God made us to be the gatekeepers of the Sabbath. And they say, Jesus, how can you truly be in relationship with the same God we follow? We saw you and your disciples plucking grain and eating it on the Sabbath. And according to our rules, that is work. And Jesus asks them a couple questions. One of the questions, he says, well, let's say a sick person comes in here and they're terminally ill. And I have the ability to pray for them to be healed. Should we wait until the Sabbath is over? Because that, by your definition, is work. And, of course, they don't have a good answer for that. But Jesus decided, you know what, I need to help Israel out. He's also helping us out. He, he actually recalibrated the Sabbath, and he gives us this awesome statement in Mark chapter 2, verse 27. Let me read it to you. He said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. He's saying you've missed the whole point. Jesus is saying it was never my Father's intention that the specifics of keeping the Sabbath would become the focus of this law. In other words, he's saying God is giving you a gift, and you've made it into something stressful. That's not the point. That's not the point at all. God made the Sabbath for us. He did not make us for the Sabbath. Those of you that like to write things down, let me just give you something you can write down, okay? This is my best attempt at a summary of what the Bible says about Sabbath in two sentences. The Sabbath is God's, what's that next word? Commandment. I don't have time to unpack what that word means, but a commandment is different than a suggestion. It's different than advice. It's different than an option. I know we don't use the word command. Most wives don't say to their husbands, I command you to put your socks away. And most husbands don't say to their wives, I command you to bring me my dinner. Uh, those relationships probably aren't going to last long. But when it comes to, there's some other lines of work where that word command is more acceptable, you know, military and some civil service, the way the authority structure works. The Sabbath is a command. It is no less than a command to rest and recharge our bodies and spirits. We, however, have liberty. God gives you liberty to choose how you Sabbath and when you Sabbath. It's for your benefit. Let me show you a couple bullets real quick. It is a command. And I have to make sure this sinks in this morning. The way you're responding to God's command to rest from your work one out of every seven days, you are either being obedient to him or you are in Rebellion. It's either complete obedience or total rebellion. There's nothing in between. If you are not honoring this in your life, I don't care the excuse. I want you to know you're living in sin against the Lord. You are telling God you know better how to run your life than He does. That means He's not really your Lord. He's more of a kind of a feel-good that you pull out when you need. You like this part of Him. He's kind of an advisor to you. But he's not your Lord. He says, I made your body, and you said amen. He says, you need it to rest to perform well, and the whole room said, yes, we agree. The question is then, why don't you? Why aren't you? The Sabbath is, first and foremost, God's command. And if you're living your life in such a way that you're not honoring that principle, that requires repentance from us. Because you're, you've invited consequences on your life. You've stopped the flow of God's blessing on your life. You're living less than the life He designed you to live. And you're literally disobeying Him to your own death. And I don't want that for you and you don't want that for you. But where that really starts is a change of heart. So it's a command. But the other thing, it's beneficial. It's beneficial. We need to rest to be at our best. We need to rest to be at our best. How many of you are familiar with the 23rd Psalm? Six of you? 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. Have you heard that? I shall not want... What's the next phrase? He makes me lie down. Have you ever tried to put a child down for a nap against their will? How did that work out for you? (laughs) Not well, right? Both of my boys, when they were real little, when they'd get tired and they didn't want to go to sleep, they would like, you'd see them walking around the house, they're shaking their head. They're trying to shake themselves awake. They are so terrified that if they miss any moment out of the day, life will end. In my family, on Sunday afternoons, it was nap time for all of us, whether we wanted or not, because mom and dad were going to take a nap. So me and my younger sister my younger brother, we all had to lay down in our beds and be quiet for a certain amount of time, and I hated it. Oh, it was like the worst thing I thought they could have ever done for me. To this day, I have repented for all the naps I fought. Because, man, I, I, oh, a good nap is like life-changing, right? <laughs> Just a good, not a mediocre nap. A good nap where you're not afraid of being pounced on by an a eight-year-old superhero at any time, right? A good nap. Do you understand what God is saying? What makes him a good shepherd is that he looks at his sheep sometimes and says, You don't, you don't want to rest, but I know you need to rest. I'm going to make you lie down. I don't want God to have to make me sick to get me to lie down. I don't want God to have to strip away things in my life that I enjoy, relationships in my life that I enjoy, hobbies that I enjoy, because I'm using them. Why would God bless my efforts to do all these other things that are leading me into sin? I don't want God to have to strip away things in my life that if I were rested, I could do for his honor, but I'm using them to substitute. I don't want to go too deep down into that because I think some of you know exactly what I'm talking about to you today. But It's beneficial. He's saying, listen, relax, rest, recharge. And you're saying, but you don't understand. I can't. Hmm. It would sound different if he said, stop lying. And you said, you don't understand. I can't stop lying. What would we think about your condition? How is this any different? It's not that you can't, it's that you choose not to. You don't know how. So it's a command, it's beneficial. But we have options. We get to choose how we Sabbath. We get to choose when we Sabbath. You know, God didn't specify a specific, it has to be this day from this hour to that hour. Now, it can be if you want it to. But he gives us liberty. The Sabbath was made for you. It's your gift. You weren't made to be the guardian of the Sabbath. It was made for you. You have liberty. You have options to choose. And you might be thinking, but pastor, I, I can't do this. In fact, if I lay in my bed for seven hours, I certainly won't sleep for all seven. I'll wake up four times a night. I could, I could Velcro myself to the mattress eight hours a night, seven nights a week. But I still won't be rested. I can make my, I can throw my phone in the swimming pool, put earplugs in, and cut myself from all, all, from all work and just sit around and watch the grass grow 24 hours a day, one day a week throughout the course of the year, and my soul will still be completely at unrest. I will be filled with anxiety. My mind will go a thousand miles away. I still won't. Why is it that we simply cannot rest? I think a more telling question would be, do you think Christians do any better in this than people who don't have Christ at the center of their life? Should we be doing better at this? Jesus says, come unto me, all you who are weary and tired and weighed down and stressed out and overworked and overscheduled. Come to me, and I'm going to take that off you. What am I going to give you? Rest. So when you look around on a Sunday at Echo, does everybody seem rested to you? Do they seem recharged, refreshed, restored? I've told this story before. Um, you know, we pray for all of our neighbors to come to know the Lord, and uh, I don't want to use their names or embarrass them. I've had situations before where I've told stories about people I was witnessing to, and then they stumbled across our podcast and totally messed things up. But I've told this story before. When we were in the high school, some of you remember this. In the summer, you know, um, It was hot to unload everything after church, and most Sundays I'd get home, you know, between 1 and one i I'd help, you know, finish up everything in the church and have all my conversations, and I'm exhausted. Sunday's not Sabbath for Phil. It might be your Sabbath. It's not mine. Today's a work day for me. It starts early. After church day, I've got board meetings. I've got other things going on this afternoon I need to do. Um, today is not my day to cease from work. This is my work. So, you know, I try Saturday as my Sabbath. Sundays is a work day for me, and I remember More than once, when I'd get out of my my car on a Sunday and I would be really sweaty, I'd be exhausted. Some of you know you were on those teams and you remember those days. You'd feel the same when you got home. I just wanted to go inside, sit down, and it was all over my face how tired I was, and I'd get out of the car and I would look over the fence at my neighbor who would be floating on like an inflatable duck raft in his swimming pool, sipping a tall, cool beverage. And as a Christian... I, I, oftentimes I say, Lord, let my neighbors see into our lives and want what we have. And in that moment, I saw into his life and I was like, I want what he has. <laughs> I want you to know that living a life where you're overworked, overscheduled, overanxious, where you're unrested and constantly trying to cram 26 hours into a 24-hour day is not at all attractive to a world that already has that. They need to be able to look in someone's life and say, how can you live on the same street as I do and work the same amount of have the same amount of responsibility and expectation in your life and I do, and yet live with such peace, such rest, such joy for life. What would it be like to sit around with a group of people and not have to compare who's the busiest? And why do we wear that as a badge of honor around here? I'll never understand that. Around here, we all resent being busy. We hate it. We wish we were less busy, but we don't want anybody to see us as any less busy. than We, we want people to think we're busier than we really are. It makes no sense. Why is that? A couple reasons. I'll give them to you real quick. couple reasons. Here's why it's hard for us to rest. Number one, misplaced identity. What do I mean by that? Our worth is our work. There's so many of us who think my whole identity is in what I do as a mom, as a dad. It's in how I perform. It's in how I take care of my house. It's how I keep up my yard. It's in how I work. And we constantly have to climb the ladder. We have to-do lists that are never-to-done lists. They get longer and longer and longer. We work more and more and more. Why? Because we are convinced I am what I do. And heaven forbid anybody should look at me as less than what I do. There's a, there's a good remedy the Bible gives us. And the Bible tells us over and over and over again, your identity is not what you do, it is whose you are. That's your identity. Whose name is written on you? Now I learned this from a very groundbreaking uh, theological film by the name of Toy Story. <laughs> Have any of you seen Toy Story? Okay, two main characters in Toy Story are uh, Toys, one by the name of Woody, who is a sheriff, cowboy toy, the other, Buzz Lightyear, who is an astronaut. And the story centers around this group of toys that belong to a little boy by the name of Andy, Andy yes. <laughs> and... Andy's toys, life is good for them until Andy has a birthday and gets a brand new toy that had all kinds of features the old toys didn't have. A new toy by the name of Buzz Lightyear. Buzz could fly. Buzz could do flips. Buzz had battery-activated voices and lights and features. And when Buzz shows up, all of a sudden, all the toys are suddenly insecure. Andy's not going to want us anymore because we can't do what Buzz does. So pretty much all the other toys are now filled with anxiety and fear and low self-esteem. And Woody is the one guy who keeps pointing to his foot. Because on his foot is scratched the name of Andy. And Woody keeps reminding them, listen, no matter what these other toys can do, I'm important because I belong to Andy. I'm his toy. And that defines who I am. And though I will never advocate for Disney being the moral compass of the world. Okay? Just put that out there. It is a good illustration of where we go wrong. A lot of us are just terrified that if we don't perform to a certain level, work to a certain amount, you know, don't have a, that we're, we're worth less. When the name of Jesus is written across our heart and should give us all the security and confidence that we will ever need in who we are, we've placed our identity in the wrong things. we place our identity in the wrong things and it makes it hard for us ever to separate from work and rest. Materialism is another reason. You want more. I want more, I want more, I want more car, I want bigger house, I want more hobbies, I want to travel more, I want new toys, I want new things. In order to get those things, I have to work more and earn more. And the more that I work, the more that I earn, the more that I can buy, and the more that I buy, the more I want. Find the people with incredible wealth, and they'll tell you there's never enough. That's the sad thing. Anything you could possibly lose in life will never provide you security anything that can be taken from you is foolish for you to put your security in that because you could lose it and you'll live with anxiety. I heard a story from a pastor this week who sat down with a couple in his church who was incredibly wealthy, well into the hundreds of millions of dollars, and he asked in an unguarded moment, the husband sitting at the head of the table, he says, he says Bob, how much more money do you feel like you really need before you can slow down and feel secure? And he said, I think if I had 20 to $30 million more, I'd finally be secure. He probably said that 20 or 30 million dollars ago. What he hasn't discovered yet is that anything you can possibly lose, if that's where your hope and identity is, you'll never have enough of it. And when you have it, it still won't be enough, because you'll be afraid, well, I have X amount of dollars in my emergency fund, uh, and I have X amount of dollars over here, and I know the math tells me enough, but what if I have to tap into it and use it for something? There's never Enough. Only Jesus offers you purpose, hope, power, identity, and future that is durable and can survive any calamity on the face of the earth. But materialism keeps us up. So does things like envy. We want what our neighbors have. Well, their kids are in dance, so my kids need to be in dance. Well, they're out running, uh, I need to be out running. They're working ninety hours a week, so I need. They got a second car, I need a second car. They just bought a bigger, I need a bigger house. They got a new roof, I need a new roof i've told you before here's one of our problems in in this country we buy things we cannot afford and we buy things that we do not need to impress people we don't even like (laughs) and because of that we can never fully rest we can't what about this one insecurity insecurity What would people think if they saw me take time to relax and say no to busyness in favor of recharging? They're going to think I'm lazy. They're going to think I'm an underachiever. What will my boss think if I say no to something? What will my congregation think if I draw a boundary and say this day is holy unto the Lord and I'm not going to work on this day? What will my friends think if, why does that matter more to you than what God Sometimes we're just that secure. We're just afraid. If I stop working, I won't have enough. It's insecure. There's all kinds of different reasons why we don't rest. But it's extremely important for all of us to follow Jesus to honor Sabbath. So how do we do it? Where do we start? Let me close with this. Mark chapter 6, verse 30 through 33 has a prescription. This is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible to get started on rest. It has everything you need to know about rest all in one little place. Here's, it's it's uh, writing about Jesus observing his disciples. Uh, He says, then because, uh, Mark says, then because so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat, Jesus said to them, his disciples, come with me by yourselves to, to a quiet place, step three, and get some rest, step four. You know what his disciples were doing here? They were feeding food to the hungry people who were following Jesus. They were doing church ministry. And Jesus, the great shepherd, sees his sheep, and he sees they are tired and they are hungry. They are hangry. Hungry and angry, right? He sees them, and they're doing a good thing. They're doing God's work. And Jesus says, but their fuel tank is on empty. They're not rested. They're not fed he says it's more important for you to fill up that tank and minister out of a full tank than minister out of an empty tank. And so he gives them a quick prescription. Come with me by yourself to a quiet place and rest. What does that mean? Here's his prescription. If you want to get some rest, here's where you start. First, you have to stop working. Stop it. Stop checking your phone five times at night. Stop telling people they can call you. And at the same time, be respectful of other people's Sabbath. Biggest lie we tell people, I'm so sorry that I, I hate to bother you. If you hate something, do you do it? I hate onions. You know how I prove it? I don't eat them. I hate to bother you, but I'm going to. And here I go. You have to stop working. Stop studying. Stop performing. And you have to do something. The smart word is avocational. Do something. Do something. That has nothing to do with your job. If you're a fisherman by trade, fishing for you is not recreation. But maybe you're an accountant by trade and fishing for you is just recreation. Don't do something competitive that's going to get your juices boiling over the edge. Some people say, well, football is, you know, going to the Ravens game. Well, not this year, bad example. But in the past, going to the Ravens game, that's my Sabbath. You come if they lose, are you angry for the next four days? Are you drained, exhausted? You have to step away from work. Jesus says you have to separate yourself from ministry. Come away with me. Second thing he says, disconnect from non-essential. Come by yourself, he says. There are certain things that if you take them with you while you try to rest, you're not going to rest. Can I say this nicely? There are certain people you can try to take with you to rest, and they won't let you rest. The people that drain your batteries are not people you can recharge and have recreation with. Have you ever tried to take somebody with you on a vacation or on a social outing and you went home and you're like, I am more tired than when we left? First of all, don't be that person. But if you're really going to rest, you have to disconnect from non-essentials. There's very few of us that have to check our phone every hour, 24 hours throughout the day. Why do you keep doing that? Why? 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 Well, people expect... Well, help... How? Why do you let them expect that of you? Change the boundaries. How do I do that? There's great books written by smarter people than me that can help you with that. You've got to disconnect from non-essentials. I have found my... I've stopped doing this. I used to... I caught myself doing this one afternoon. I was trying to doze from it, and I took, I was like, but I don't want to miss any. I put my phone right here on my chest, and then I closed my eyes. I'm like, dummy. Like, how am I going to get a good, nice... That's not a good nap, Tom. That's not... You put your phone on your chest and like, well, someone really needs me. I give them permission to wake me up out of my nap. But we can't do that. You've got to learn to disconnect from non-essential people, non-essential activities. Don't take business reading with you. To you know, don't do something that has nothing to do with your job. Just you do something. Rest, recharge, reconnect. Number three, find a quiet place. And I know some of you are laughing. You're like, there are children in my house. There is no such thing. Um, you're gonna have to do some homework on what quiet means. But Jesus told his disciples, part of his prescription was, "We need to, this is not a quiet place, we need to separate from the quiet place, we need to go to a quiet place. And then the fourth thing you have to do is, we, even once you've got those things together, you have to actually rest. Here's the thing that you're going to find out. If you take this to heart and you go home and you say, all right, um, man, we had a come to Jesus moment this morning. We recognize we are living in rebellion to God, and for me and my house, we're going to get this in order. You might be thinking this. We're mandating that every Saturday is Sabbath day, and we're not going to do these 10 things, and we are going to do these other 10 things, and we're going to make sure we get 7 hours of sleep at night, and the kids are going to get 8 to 10 hours of sleep at night. You can set all these rules up and find you are no more rested than you were before you put all those rules in place. That is not just as easy as you saying, I'm going to lay down now and sleep. Okay, body, stop. Mind, stop. Spirit, Stop. Don't think about the to-do list. Don't worry about the finances. Don't think about that uncomfortable conversation coming up tomorrow. Don't stress about the test this week. Just stop. And you'll find out I can't just be driving 75 miles down the highway and throw my life into park. It has to be learned. Resting in Jesus means not only that you rest your body, that you recharge your emotions. You refocus your spirit. And how often does Jesus say we should do those things? At least once out of every seven days. The reason that's so hard is there's this part, there's this part of me that has this eternal need to prove myself to other people. And it's constantly churning and churning. There's a murmur, one person I heard calls it the internal murmur of your soul. That even when you're trying to make yourself learn the principle of Sabbath, there's a part of you that just feels like, I just can't. You go on vacation and you can't vacation. You can't keep away from your email. You can't keep away from your work. You can't rest. And you you just can't undo it. And you've come to accept that as part of you. And I want to tell you, that's not the way that God designed you. This must be learned. And until you understand that Jesus himself is the true Sabbath that you need. That's what he really said. He's like, the Lord of the Sabbath is here now, he says. He doesn't say, come on to Saturday night and find rest. He says, come to me. I'm the Sabbath. And until you can find a place where you can be so secure in Him that you no longer turn to your parents, your boss, your career, your children, your achievements to make you feel like you're valuable, that you're successful, when you come to a place in Jesus where He fills all of those tanks so full to you, only then will you be able to truly experience the deep rest that your soul, your spirit, your emotions need. I want to be a church that's known for being well rested. Now that doesn't mean that we say, all right, once out of seven days, I'm gonna pick Sunday as my Sabbath, and that means I'm not gonna worship, I'm not gonna to go to church, I'm gonna put my feet up all day and order Chinese and just watch, binge watch Netflix from bed from the bedroom. Part of recharging my emotions, and refocus my spirit comes in community with other people and being part of a body of believers it doesn't jesus didn't say hey take one day a week and go to vegas and live like you're not a christian to recharge yourself and then come back to real life he didn't say to his disciples go off without me and i won't watch and then we can rejoin and you'll be recharged he says no come with me we're not resting from jesus we're resting with jesus one way we're going to put this into practice at echo because i realize baltimore county does not have a culture that supports you getting good rest I'm going to be teaching you things today that your boss, your families, and your own heart are going to argue with you about throughout the course of this week. Okay? We're coming up against the way the culture wants us to live. But I also realize that our church operates in that culture, too. You know, our church operates on what do we think? Oh, man, this person is the first one in, the last one out every week. They're always here. They're always available. They're always. I want you to know that I, I understand the sentiment there, but that's not necessarily God honoring me. <laughs> We need to create a culture where this is a culture that, su- that we model taking care of our body and our spirit and our emotions, and we respect the pursuit that other people in our church are doing too. So one thing we're going to do is this. We realize Sunday is not, a, it's a Sabbath for a lot of us, but for some of us, it's a work day. And doing church in this century is a lot more manual labor than it used to be. And so we're starting something this year that can help us establish a culture. One Sunday a year, we're going to have a Sabbath Sunday. And all that that means is it's just one Sunday a year where we rest from the manual labor of doing church. Just one Sunday a year. Now, on those Sundays, we are going to prepare in advance. We're going to pre-record a service that we're putting out, that we'll put out online that'll be premiered that morning that you can watch on all of our different platforms you'll still have teaching there'll still be prayer there'll still be uh, meaning and community there we're going to do that this year on Sunday December the 27th it's right in the middle of the the Christmas holiday and the new year holiday and so uh, trust me it's not a way for me to get out of work it's actually much more work for me to plan a December 20th service a 24th service and a 27th service that has to be pre-recorded all in one week that's much more work than us doing it the old way but it's done so that we can model as a church it's okay for us to have a Sunday a year where we as a church say we rest from labor. We're recharging, we're restoring, we're enjoying recreation with our families. It's not a Sunday away from worship, it's just worshiping God in a different way than we do on those other 51 Sundays. And so I'm putting that into place this year as a first step in creating a culture where we truly as a church honor and recognize those Sabbath principles in our life. And trust me, I run up with the same fears of pushback that you probably do when you think about putting Sabbath, but somebody has to go first, and leaders have to lead, and so we're going to lead in that direction because I want us to be as vigilant in our obedience when it comes to resting and stewarding our bodies as we are in all these other moral areas. I want you to have rest for your body. I want your emotions to reset. Wouldn't it be awesome if you could hit the reset button on your emotions every week? That's what the Sabbath is for. Wouldn't it be awesome to refocus your spirit rather than once a year, the first Sunday in January, to be able to do that on a weekly basis? Could you imagine how much more your life would feel like a th- you're thriving? That was all baked into God's principle of Sabbath, and it is here for you for the taking. What are you going to do with what you've heard this morning? What are you going to do with this? For some of you, I hope there's a conversation that happens at home this week. Now, if you live by yourself, you you probably have conversations at home all the time. You're talking out loud between you, yourself, and I, right? You're going to have to have some conversations, because for some of us, this is putting this into practice is a far different enterprise, depending on how many people live under your roof. But you have liberty to work together as a family to figure out how and when you're going to make this work for everybody. That everybody, when I say make this work, make the Sabbath work, which is Fortunate play on words, but um, you know it's going to require some conversation, some maturity. But what I'm really praying for today is that you have a change of heart towards Sabbath. That's what I'm praying for. If your heart doesn't change, everything else you do is like painting over rust. It, it'll just cover over, but it won't last. If your heart doesn't change, you're just going to comply. Well, compliance and obedience are two different things. I just pray that at the end of this morning you are able to say, "My heart, the way I think about." my work, and my Sabbath is changed today. And I want to align my heart with the heart of God. When that happens, it gives you all the momentum and the stick to you need to uproot old habits and plant new ones in your life. But outside of a heart change, I don't have hope that any, anything you put into place, all you're relying on then is at that point is self-discipline and you don't need Jesus for that. Let's pray together this morning as the worship team comes to close us out. Lord, we love you. We worship you. Jesus, we repent to you for thinking we know better than you do about how to take care of ourselves. We're sorry. We see that now. And we want our hearts to change today. Friend, you might be listening to what I'm sharing this morning and thinking to yourself, I don't even know where to begin on all of this. My life, I feel tired, I feel overworked, I feel stressed, I feel anxious. And you know you're out of alignment with God. And if that's the case, I want to invite you into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a decision that I made years ago. When I came to a place in my life as a little boy where I recognized I disobeyed God. And there was sin in my life. I was very uncomfortable with that. And I didn't want want that... Anymore. I, wanted to be in clo- I wanted to be as close to God as I possibly could be. And I came to understand that, that I couldn't fix myself, but that I didn't have to because Jesus had already gone to his Father on my behalf and offered to pay off and make right all of my sins. He picked up that bill himself, a bill I never could have paid. And I made a decision to surrender control of my life to Jesus. I acknowledged him. I didn't make him Lord. He already is. But I acknowledged him as Lord and I started to make my life line up with what I believed in my heart. And it began with a simple prayer I would lead you in right now. Jesus, I need to be saved because I'm a sinner. I'm living life my own way. And I want that to end today. I want it to change. I need to be saved. I need to be changed. I need to be made new. I believe that you're God's son. You lived a sinless life. You died on the cross in my place and you rose from I believe you're alive today. And I confess to you my acknowledgement that you are the Lord. And I want you to be my Lord. And so I surrender. I hand over the keys of my life to you. I take, take myself away from the steering wheel of my life. And, and Lord, I invite you to come and sit in its place. I know you want the best for me. I don't want my life now to line up with your plan and your purposes and your hope for me. I invite you to come and make your residence in sight of me and live inside of me. I receive you, Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, I pray that Echo will continue to honor you and please you in the way that we apply your word to our life. And I speak rest over this congregation today. I silence anxiety. I silence insecurity. I squash materialism and envy. We put all those things, workaholism. Lord, we repent of those things. Our eyes are open now. We see that those are are not things we're doing that please you. Those are things that appease our flesh. Lord, I invite you to make heart changes in our life that we can shine even more brightly the counterculture of your kingdom that is so attractive to the people outside of faith. Lord, may this truly be a season marked by rest, recharging, recovering, celebrating. Reset our bodies, our spirits, our souls. In your precious name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Echo Community Church podcast. If today's message impacted you, or you want to talk about one of the topics we discussed today, email us at info at echochurchmd.com. We would love to connect with you online. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube by searching our church name, Echo Community Church. Send a message or leave a comment to at Echo Community Church, and let's continue the conversation. And if you live locally in Baltimore County, Maryland, we invite you to our Sunday worship experience. You can find out more on our website at echochurchonline.com.